you're tired of spending money on trail cameras you use as tools only to find out they're built like freaking toys or you've struggled with unreliable not so dependable cameras or experienced customer service that flat out disappointed you i've been there those problems literally birthed exodus eight years ago when they shipped their first camera exodus had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enabled you to set it and forget it all season long but also to back them like no other company was willing to with an unmatched level of customer service and support. See for yourself why Exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers. They've quickly become known for their five-year no BS warranty, quality cameras, and best in-class customer service. You heard that right. Exodus believes in their products so much, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves the warehouse. They wouldn't use it, you don't get it. Exodus is so confident you love your new Exodus camera. They're offering you, the listener of this show, 15% off your next order today. Just use code BTE. If you don't love it, get your money refunded in the first 30 days and just send her back. Exodus really has two excellent cell cam options for uh, all budgets, and they start at just $179 plus your 15% off there. You use the code BTE. They have competitive data plans that allows you to purchase a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you can run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends, no charge, which makes the Exodus lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There are no additional fees for HD photo requests. That's pretty nice. No additional fees for video uploads. And all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. See for yourself why so many have made the switch to Exodus and experienced the Exodus difference. Use code BTE to get 15% off your next order today. Now let's talk about Osseo gear. It's a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from Osseo, which is pretty nice. They have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand. So visit asiogear.com. Get you some premium hunting clothing. Gotta talk to you about Stealth Outdoors, makers of Stealth Strips. Stealth strips really are a, a product that any hunter, whether you're a weekend warrior or a guy that hunts almost every day, really needs to take advantage of. Stuff absolutely deadens your, your gear uh, to make it essentially uh, noise-free. If you haven't checked out stealth strips yet, stop buying all the other crappy alternatives like the hockey tape and any other stuff you're trying to use to silence your gear. Get the good stuff. Get stealth strips visit stealthoutdoors.com pick you up some stealth strips all my partners are linked in the description below go check them out hey everybody welcome to the show joe this is actually my second show tonight oh my god you're burnt out buddy you, you, <laughs> no. you, don't, you don't have any voice left <laughs> so i usually like we have a, like the channel has members um, and I usually just before he, uh, before I get on with the, the guests of the week, I'll go on with my members and just, we'll 
have chit chat back and forth about whatever. Well, I accidentally uh, didn't put the settings right and I just put it live onto YouTube. So I got on here. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people on for a members only one. And I'm like, oh no, this is everybody, not just the members. So I had a, I had a dual live stream tonight. A, a, technical, a technical glitch. It yeah. Yeah. Best of us. Uh, Josh, uh, doing too many things at once whenever he scheduled the, the members only live streams, what it was, but, um, that's all right. It was, it was still fun. We, we chit chatted. We usually talk about like conspiracies and whatnot on the members only, uh, mm -hmm. stream. We don't, we don't always talk about deer hunting, but they're yeah, fun. I understand, man. It, it, there's a bunch of conspiracies that are coming true. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's what we talk about. So, <laughs> anyway, how are things going, Joe? You had man, a yeah, they're, yeah, they're going good, man. You know, we're we're starting to get into the the trade show circuit now, and and that's kind of our focus, company wise, and then personal wise. You know, this time of year, the new bows, you know, have come out, new broadheads, new eras, sights, you know, all that stuff that I I love to tinker with and and, and mess with to see if I can do anything to make the system a little bit better but so yeah that's what we're doing right now um what's the uh what's the system this year man what's on your radar yeah i, I tell you you know I, i've been a matthews guy for for years and years i shot hoyt um and i'll tell you one thing that i have i have found probably in the last three years of of doing the the testing the bows are so close now i mean with with everything you know with speed quietness how much they weigh um the draw cycles are a little bit different in, in each one of them and that becomes kind of a personal preference muscle memory type thing uh, but i tell you the two that i have really liked the last two years are that prime and uh i like the um i, I still like the matthews because i've just shot it so long my muscle memory is used to that draw curve i've not had yeah. a chance yet to shoot that lift i'm looking forward to shooting that new lift and and then the the new prime as well. So I don't know. J jury's still out bow wise. Yeah. I, uh, my very first, like a real bow, I had like a, like a high country bow was my first bow. Um, but, and it was, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly if this, you're supposed to do this. I'm sure you're not supposed to do this, but they didn't make very many youth bows when I was younger. Like I didn't, that wasn't really a thing. So the bow shop took like, they went to the hardware store and got longer uh, bolts for my limbs to, that goes in my pockets, so I could I could take them out farther. And that was my first bow was a high country that had extended bolt limbs. Anyway, yeah, I bet I that hurt. was that was safe for the limbs. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. It was fine. It never hurt. Never yeah. hurt anything, but or never blew up on me. It did. The string would pop off a lot, which that may have something to do with it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I can remember it happened twice that string popping off when I was deer hunting. Ooh. Um, like I'd pull it back to just, you know, practice for a second and pop off. But, um, the, uh, the first good bow I got was a Hoyt. Uh, and I had shot a Hoyt for till like just a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I probably shot a Hoyt for 20 years, um, of different, all different, um, flavors of them, but I always had a Hoyt and it was just, it was the draw cycle. I like loved that draw cycle of the Hoyt and I loved the grip. Yep. Like I'd pick up a Matthews and I'd be like, I can't even hold this thing. Like this thing feels so horrible to me just in the grip. Um, and, and that's, but, go ahead. Yeah, that, that, that's, it's, that's crazy. Now it's like, you almost just want to pick up a bow and just see which one like feels the best. Like, cause it's, 
you know, the performance is close, like you said. They are. I mean, we, we do nerdy stuff. You know, we'll get a decibel reader out and, and shoot the arrow at like 70 yards so it doesn't get up the impact of the target. So you can hear exactly – you get a reading of how loud the bow is. And then we, we, we've got a – at Archery Shot, we've got a big chronograph, a really good one. And, I mean, they're all within a few feet uh, of seconds um, of each other and then the, the noise factor. And it's like you say, man, it's almost – it'd be better if you went in with a blindfold on. Yeah, you know, into the archery shop and just you know had four or five of them rigged up and just draw them and shoot them and see what feels the best to you and whatever that name brand is you know roll out and go with that. Yeah, what broadhead you shoot this year? So tripan um, can't get away from that. And but I will say and and I, I, you know not sponsored anything by these guys, but I went to the ATA show and G five. Uh, has a new tripan-looking head. The, 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 I guess the, the two things, if I had to criticize the tripan, it was the blade sharpness and the ferrule, even though it was a titanium ferrule, that, that hyperdermic point would, uh, sometimes if it hit, hit scapula or, or you know, dead center rib, the, the point and ferrule could bend a little bit. And what uh, G5 did is they, they beefed up the ferrule, beefed up the tip, and then they put those Lutz blades, those real sharp German blades on there. Man, I was like a little kid at a candy store. I was like, when, when can I get these? Because I got yeah. a couple of trips coming up later later this summer uh, in spring. And I was like, man, I need to go shoot some stuff. And they're like, well, they won't be ready till May. But that that head, <laughs> that for, for mechanical guys, man, I mean, that, their, their Mega Meat is a really popular head. I think it's actually taken over the number one selling mechanical of any broadhead now. Don't, don't quote me on that, but I, I think that's my understanding. So a lot of guys like that. But I think with the two blade, you get better penetration and it's still a big two inch cut. And I, I think that's going to be the bee's knees. Yeah. I may, I may give that thing a try next year then. Cause, um, man, I, I shot the dead meat this year, which is their inch and a half cut. And I loved it. Like yeah. both deer I shot with them died 30 yards from where I shot them. Those blades are so sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, now I didn't, I didn't, you know, they're perfect shots and I'm not saying that any other broadhead would have uh, done the same thing, but I was, I was happy with them. So that was the first year I've shot mechanicals in a little while. I shot the, um, well, I've shot a bunch of stuff with rage, but then I had the Tekkens. I don't know if you remember those. Oh yeah. I shot stuff with Tekkens too, uh, back in the day. Um, shot my very first year with a punch cutter. You remember those? I do not remember those. Oh, you don't? No, man, <laughs> they, uh, there were like a mechanical from back in the nineties and my dad had them and my dad was, he's always shot mechanicals even back then. And, uh, yeah, it was like a, the tip well, it was like, like this pencil. It was a, the tip was a plunger and the blades were inside of the ferrule. And when you hit that plunger, the blades would pop out. Okay. Like a piston system. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I think so, rocket maybe makes one like that. This, this called, uh, meat seeker i think there was one called meat seeker that that um was like that it was piston driven but the blades were held together by a rubber band i had yeah. a buddy that really liked those and yeah. i guess the original one i shot which was not a great head was the jackhammer i can't remember who, who made that but that was that was way back in the in the 90s yeah my my dad always shot mechanicals and my cousin shot muzzies and uh I was 11. This was, I was 11 years old when this was happening. And I had that high country bow and 
I got to my cousin's, he's going to take me hunting with it for the first time. And he saw that and he's like, he goes like, dude, he goes, what are the, he didn't know what they were. I don't know if he'd never seen mechanicals, you know, back then in the late nineties, like you didn't have the internet to, Oh, right. You know, you know, you know, and I, you know anyways, he cut the, uh, the, the rubber band you're talking about. He cut them off all my arrows and I hunted with a deployed, uh, a deployed, uh, expandable. That's what I shot my first deer with. And it flew. Okay. Flew good. Well, enough. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that, but I got lucky. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Um, I did. I missed, it was a, it was a, it was a doe fawn is what it was. And, uh, I mean, not to get gruesome, but like I, I missed her the first time. And if she was a fawn, she didn't do anything. And then I hit her in the hind quarters, the second shot. Um, and then got down and, and finished her. But, uh, so <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that they were flying good, <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, but it's, it's a crazy story now. Um, what arrows are you shooting? Not to make this a bow and arrow. Uh, no, no. So, um, I shoot the victory rip TKOs. Mm -hmm. uh, really like that. It's a, it's a 204 uh, diameter. So it's a, not a micro, but it's a little bit above a micro shaft. It, it's a little bit uh, bigger than those super micro shafts. Uh, and they just, man, we, we did a, this was probably three or four years ago. We did a pretty weird test. We, we ordered different sets of arrows from like five different states. So we would get different batches in and, and mm. that's my OCD kicking in instead of going to the pro shop and getting three packs, you know, I'd, I'd order a pack from uh, Alabama a pack from Pennsylvania a pack from Kansas, whatever. And we got them all in and then we just did and it's not dynamic spine testing, but just on a spine tester to test the spine, to test the straightness and really surprising at how superior in that particular test that the, the victory uh, arrows were. And I actually talked to the guys at victory that, that year at the ATA. And they said that they're apparently owned by Shimano and hmm. Shimano makes I'm not going to say all of it, and this could have changed, but they make the majority of the carbon fiber that goes into arrows and they sell it to different arrow makers and they hold back, you know, some of the really good tolerant stuff, uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it sure made sense. But yeah, I would argue that point too, if, if, if that was, you know, my arrow company, but anyway, yeah. long story short, I've, I've had real good luck with them. They're very tough and, um, fly great. And, and the tolerances have been good. I've heard, I've heard good things about Victor. That's one, one of the arrows I've never shot though. Um, but yeah, if I was, uh, if I was Shimano, I, they probably tell every single arrow manufacturer the same thing. Of course, but right. <laughs> it sounds good though. Oh, it you sounds been, great. Yeah, you've been shooting your uh, trad bow, any? Embarrassingly enough, I have not. Oh. I, I told you about my conversation with Bobby Worthington. Did I tell you about? No, that? I don't okay. think you did. So I, you, you know, I, I got into it heavy. You, you know, I was shooting all the time. I think I even sent you some videos and said, "What am yeah. I doing wrong here? Does this look okay?" And you gave me some pointers. Well, Bobby and I were somewhere or talking on the phone and, you know, he's an eight time world champion, uh, traditional shooter, mm -hmm. you know, not, not national, but world. And yeah. I, I said, Bobby, you know, why aren't you shooting with, with traditional? And, and he said, without missing a B he said, cause I'm not a good enough shot. 
was an eight-time world champion. And I said, yeah. what am I doing here? You know, I, I like to hit what I'm aiming at. But, but man, I, one of these days I am going to get into it. And, and you know, I, I probably won't go over full-time. But the, the thing about our swamp is we've got a lot of deer, we get a lot of deer tags, and we got a ton of hogs. Yeah. So especially this time of year, you know, I can get in there and, and shoot at some hogs and, and stuff like that. So it, it, it's something I definitely want to do. Yeah. Yeah, you should. I mean, yeah, Bob, Bobby's right. It's hard to be accurate with them, but there's guys that just stack animals up with them, man. Yeah. That's, that's neat. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I have a, like another level of respect for the guys that, I mean, do it, you know, well, heck, you've done it. You've shot a bunch of stuff with it. Yeah. But, not like some people, <laughs> the guys that do it full time and get it done every year. It's just like, man, uh, my buddy, Alan, who I'm sure people are tired of me bringing up Alan on this podcast, but he, uh, yeah, he's killed like he's, he's in 47 of the 50 States and has killed a big game animal in all 47 of them with a longbow. Golly. Yeah. I bet he shoots every day too, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's just one of those guys that like, uh, like for example, he had to go hunt Hawaii. You know, that was a state that he wanted to go hunt. And they got those, those axis deer out there. And, uh, he just like, it almost seems like a, uh, something impossible. Like I'm going to take a longbow out to Hawaii and go hunt on some public or, or whatever it's out there. I don't know if it's public or yeah, it is. it's public. Yeah. yeah. And he, and like, like, I think, it, I think people have a hard time killing them with compounds out there because they're real cagey animals, aren't they? They are very yeah. And, and he's, and Alan's like, I don't really know much about it. You know, he, he's never hunted them out there in Hawaii. And he flew out there. Um, actually his wife had a work trip out there. So he just, he just put his longbow in the suitcase and went out there with him and just went on some public land. And he, you know, he, he got one and he's, he brought it into the, he just killed it, you know, brought it in the processors. And they're like, you killed that thing with that longbow. And they're like, yeah, he, they're like, that's the one, the biggest one that we've seen this year. And like, he's just like, yeah. <laughs> he's just one of those guys you know straight up killer uh, yeah just no matter what he gets it done with that with the long with the you know with the longbow he killed like a one 160 on whitetail this year with it here in indiana just one of those guys man that's awesome um kind of a kind of a elusive guy almost just like i don't know just the, uh, the way he lives in general is just just is he's just kind of an elusive guy so i think it wears off on the hunting side of it too but, um, anyways, you, you, uh, how many bucks did you kill this year? Man, I shot six this year. I shot, uh, I shot one in, here at home, shot one in Kentucky, one in Texas, one in Kansas and two in Mexico. I forgot about the Kentucky one. Yep. Shot that, uh, end of October, very first of November, right around Halloween. We got a cold, a little cold front in and, um, yeah, got, got that guy. How many, what's the most you've killed in a year? How many bucks? I killed eight, uh, two years ago, shot eight. Yeah. I, I had a good season here at home. I killed three at home and oh, okay. I, I think I killed maybe two in Texas or something like that. So that was, that was five. And then, you know, hit the Midwest circuit. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Do you know how many whitetails you've killed now? Like buck, you know, nice bucks. Ooh, man. I, I don't, um, I, I, I couldn't guess. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. Like, and I, I just said that Joe, cause I knew you've killed a, a plethora of them. And, uh, 
you're one of the guys that like whenever you start talking about whitetails, I like I listen. I've been I, I listened to some other podcasts you were on today, just kind of prepping prepping for this. And Exodus, I got real excited because one of my kind of goals in life, and I don't know if I'll ever reach him, but is I, I like to kill a whitetail in all the states that have whitetails. But they got a they got a video of you, and the title is like hunting every state. I don't know what it is. It's like hunting every state that has a whitetail in it. But then I listened to the podcast and I, I don't know if you've actually hunted every state that has white. No, no, okay. No. <laughs> so no. it must've been just a clickbaity thing, but could, I saw that. I'm like, Oh, Joe did has done what I want to do. No, um, no I, I haven't done that. I, okay. I mean, I've hit, a, I've hit a bunch of them and yeah. the main ones, um, you know, Montana's kind of a, a different one, you know, being from South Carolina, but, but just, just really the main ones, you know, a lot of them in the South and, that sort of thing, but never like up in Maine or even Pennsylvania or Michigan. Uh, no, I have shot one buck in Michigan, but that was years ago. Yeah. Um, as is, is South Carolina, me and me and I was talking to Rendell today and, um, you know, he was talking about how you still, you're such a whitetail fanatic and you still live in South Carolina. Is that just home to you? Is that why? It is. It, it is home. And, and they're real, they're, they're real cagey here, man. They, like the the property i've got permission to hunt on one big farm that a buddy of mine owns and then i'm in a hunt club on another one and it's about it makes up about 3200 acres and and it's private and and so everybody says oh my god you you you've got it made right well at any one time 40 people can be hunting on this 3200 acres and 5 bucks a year rifles starting august 15th going until january 1st and you can feed feeders and corn piles everywhere so it, it is tough for a bow hunter and you 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 learn how to you know get around the rifle hunters and kind of use them because we don't really have funnels and that that's something i've really gotten into the last couple of years was especially in the midwest is, is really identifying a real funnel you know you hear that word a lot funnel. yeah um, but but a lot of folks, including myself, didn't really have a full grasp of, of what that is and how important that is. Um, and so in South Carolina, because it's all flat, you know, swamp, hardwood, cut over country, there, there's not a lot of, you know, natural funnels because they can really bed about anywhere and travel about anywhere. And there's food everywhere. We don't get the brutal winter that kills off all the food. You know, there's browse and those cutovers. So it, it it's really challenging. You know, if, if we shoot 125, that, that actually makes our state book. If you shoot a 125-inch deer, rifle, or bow, that makes the state book. And I think we have four or five net Boone and Crockett's that have ever come out of South Carolina. So I get it. You know, we, we don't have a bunch of big deer here. But, man, you, you shoot a four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half-year-old, one of these swamp bucks that lives in that Congaree River Basin that's been around and seen a few things. It, it's rewarding. And, and so I look at it as – is, is relative to where I'm hunting. You, you know, I, I will absolutely whack a 120 incher here in South Carolina if he comes by. And, you know, that's not a deer that I would get my bow up off the, the you know, the hanger in, in say, Kansas, because not, not that there's anything wrong with guys in Kansas shooting 120 inch deer if that's what they want to do. I just know the potential out there yeah. is, is for world class stuff. Yeah. And that's, man, that's what I like. That says a lot about you because, like, you're just passionate about deer hunting. I love it, man. I'm, I'm eating, eating up with it. And, and just, it's just constant. It, it is constant, which is kind of drives my wife crazy, but 
you know, yeah, we, well, we started, yeah, yeah. We, we started dating when I was 18 years, but she was 18. I was 19 and we've been together. We've been married for 24 years and, you know, dated. So she, she's very accustomed to, 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 to the life. And, you know, if I'm around the house more than two weeks, she, she starts getting antsy and is like, you, you need to, uh, you need to find somewhere to go <laughs> you yeah. need to get out of here, go hunt something. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Joe, you've been like, I mean, you loved it so much. You've made a, you know, a great career out of it too, out of hunting. Um, and not, what made you get into the, and if people, we talked about this a little bit, I think, uh, in the past, but you, you were into like the Africa stuff and you, you were like an elk guide for a little bit, right? Yeah. That, so that was my, that was my real goal was really when I was 12, I, I played baseball all through college and tore my shoulder up my last year of college. And that, that was my, my number one goal was to try to make that a career. And that didn't happen. And number two was I wanted to go, even when I was 12 years old, my dad bought these Peter Hathaway capstick safari videos. And I watched those things till the tapes burn out. And I wanted to go to Africa and be a PH, a professional hunter. That's, that's what I wanted to do. And I actually did do that. I went and did that for seven years. And then Natalie and I had Jack, our son, and, you know, I, I couldn't be gone for three months at a time. So then yeah. I kind of started the, the hunt brokerage business. I started a business called Sporting Adventures, and we just started being like a travel agent for African hunting, Argentina hunting. And and then I started doing a little bit of guiding out in uh, Oregon, Ironside, Oregon, which is really, it's close to Boise. We would fly into Boise and drive right across the Idaho border into Oregon. And there's elk and mule deer on there and and, and had a lot of fun doing that for a couple of years. And yeah, that's, that's kind of how we got going. Did you have the whitetail addiction whenever you were doing that stuff or was oh, oh, one 100 percent. my okay. dad my dad was a savage i mean he had the 11th biggest whitetail killed in the state and I've, I've told this story and i probably told it on the last one but man i can remember waking up when i was like just out of diapers and and being in a sleeping bag and pulling my head up and looking and i was in the middle of the woods you know i'd, I'd been asleep and a piece of candy would hit me in the top of the head yeah and i'd look up and my dad was up in a tree with his rifle i mean yeah. he took me he took me forever. And then when I got to be 12, you know, he was a woodsman and he, he took me all through those swamps and, and acorns, you know, muscadines, edges, brows. I mean, that was, that was his game. He was way ahead of his, of his time and just a heck of a hunter. So I was very, very fortunate to, to have him as a dad and I actually had lunch with him today. And of course we were talking about deer hunting. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys always have something to talk about. No doubt. Yep. Um, okay. Let's start. Let's start talking a little bit about tactics now. Sure. Because you clearly have something figured out, Joe. Um, what What do you think is like the most important characteristic of a guy that is killing big bucks consistently, like like you are, um, and a lot of hunters throughout the the country now? I, I think there's there's a, a couple things that's, that are synonymous with with all the guys that do it at a high level. Um, I think number one is their discipline. Number two, they pay attention to detail, like fine detail, like almost an obsession of detail. I think they have an uncanny uh, work ethic. I, I think they, they, will, they will work and work and work and work at it. And then I think a lot of them, is, as much as some of them have egos, they, they are very open-minded and, and wanting, wanting knowledge. You know, they're able to check their ego. And when they're around somebody that killed a big deer on purpose, you know, not not just a, a lucky hunt or, 
right. you know, something, something like that, but they killed one on purpose that they had some history with and they, they figured him out, man, they will ask every single question about that hunt and, and about how it went down. And they'll, they'll take little pearls of wisdom from all of that stuff and, and put it into their craft and mold it into, into their system of hunting. So I, I think those are the things that really t- take a good hunter to, to, to be a really a, a great hunter. That's my, my opinion and what I have seen. And I've been fortunate to be around some of the old time. You can't say Don Higgins is an old timer, but you know, a guy that, that that's shot three, you know, 200 inch deer. And then, you know, around Bobby Worthington and, and um, you know, seeing what he's done and, and his tactics and on public land and big woods and hunted down the biggest buck in there and killed him. And I've been able to learn from those guys and, and I'm, I try to be a sponge around them. You, you know, yeah. when Josh, when you, when you've got a buck that you killed on purpose, you know, I want to know every little detail about that to, to try and, and, and pull something away. That's this eye opening. And, and you hear, you, you see it with, with all the guys, you know, I've, I've watched Andre have, have questions with, with, with guys and Adam Hayes have talks with guys and, and these are big buck killers and, and they listen to what guys say. And so I, I think that's having the open mind and being able to check the ego is, is an important factor. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be around some of these people too. And it is surprising like how certain, uh, certain times they'll perk up and just all of a sudden they're the listener instead of the one asking the, or getting the questions asked to them, you know, um, can we like walk through one of the bucks you shot this year? Um, yeah. just, I guess one that you think we would learn the most from or that you thought was unique and maybe just walk through the tactics you used to kill, kill it. Yeah, I, I guess, um, the, the Kansas buck, it was a 160 inch nine point is a nice buck. Um, Went to Kansas and I had a farm that I was going to hunt and there was a, a bigger deer in there, but he there was no consistency and there was no real funnel. Um, there was a creek bed, but where, where the, the creek was the property line and I, I couldn't get to where I needed to go to kind of spend some time on this buck. I had to hunt the very edge of it. And after figuring that out, you know, th- this was a piece I'd never hunted. I, 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 my buddy had a picture of the deer and, and said, have at it. And so I went in there and I said, man, this isn't going to work. You know, is there, is there some other property we can go to? And he sent me some. And, and um, so I, I picked one that had a, that had a river that went on the, not the middle, but, but maybe a third of the property. And then it really had two pinch points with fields. And I said, yeah, this looks good. And, and there had been a picture of this deer on this property, the nine point. And so what, what I did is, is I think you can get away with it. I think one time is I went in and just blew it up. I walked the river, I walked everything. And, and then I found the spot and it was a, a bluff that went, went down to the river and our access could be inside that river. Cause it wasn't very deep. And, and we're going to have a video of this entire hunt because Lucas got drone footage of how we accessed it, but we could come in from the river and then climb that bluff and there was a tree right there on the that's a funny story in itself but there was a tree right on the bluff and if we had a north wind um it was bulletproof there there was no way for a deer to get behind us and then probably 80 yards in front of us was a couple blowdowns off of a field edge and there were literally five trails in different areas that all came to that pinch and it, it was perfect and we found it 
and about two hours of walking in there. And I said, if, if we have a north wind, we're going to kill that buck. You know, it was about November 7th, the, the rut was starting, and we were just going to rot in that tree. And so the first, um, we, we went in and, and hung in, we, after we scouted, went back, took a shower, um, went in, walked down the river through the access, climbed the, climbed the bluff there, hung the, hung the stand in that tree. And the, the trees, just to go off tangent for a second, but there was a blowdown in the, in the top of it. And so it, it wasn't rotten, but there was a blowdown in it. And Lucas, who was filming, he looks at that thing. He goes, are we really going to get in that tree? And I said, buddy, that thing's in a fork. And unless it gets real windy, we're going to be okay. Yeah. So he was like, man, I don't know. I said, we'll be fine. I'll, I'll get a safety <laughs> harness for you. We'll be all right. So it was where we had to be. I mean, yeah. it, there were other trees around there, but they were crooked and we just couldn't get in them. And anyway, climbed up in it and where the blowdown had broken out of the other uh, tr tree that had blown in there, there was a uh, like a, a hollow and there was a about a 14 pound boar raccoon that were that was four feet away from Lucas's head, and we finally got settled. <laughs> anyway, I, I went way off tangent. That, that was just a funny setup. But so we, we hung that we hung that day. We got in there about one o'clock, and we hung that day, and we saw eight or ten deer, and had a, a big buck fight. We we could never see it; we could just hear it. And we had eight or ten deer, and they all came right through that that funnel. You know, different trails. You know, we, we, we talk about that. You know, you find why hunt one trail when you can hunt two? Why hunt two when you can hunt three? Why hunt three when you can hunt four? And this really pinched down five into one. And so it, it was just a, a, a perfect spot. And so the next day we were going to get a little rain about two o'clock and we were going to sit all day. And we got there and in the morning. I had, I think, three bucks come by, seven or eight does. And, you know, they were coming from around the crop fields and stuff. And, and the bucks were cruising. And the little rain started about two o'clock. And at 2.30, I look and, and one of the scrapes that, that we had seen, he's in it. The, the nine point is in the scrape and he's working it. And he turns and comes right down the funnel and, and even closer than I, I had. He took the closest trail to us and I shot him at, at four steps, quartering two and just dumped him it, jugular junction of the shoulder and spine into the front side lung and it just dumped him you know right there and and, and that was the end of him but that that was a a property or a spot where if it stays the same you could kill a big deer out of that tree every single year if you hunted the rut if there was one in there and that in that whole travel corridor if there was a big deer in there I, I really believe you could kill him right there every single year yeah and those finding those spots are so valuable for like if you're hunting during the rut, you know, yep. um, we found a kind of similar spot in Kansas, um, Kansas. That was my first time ever in Kansas. And that place is, I, I hope I go back every year kind of, kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that deer, uh, you guys, I don't know if you're running a little ad or something, but there, you can see it on social media right now. I think you got like a montage of your deer this year. Uh, the, the kill shots, I think. Yep. So if you guys, hop over to their social uh, Osseo gear, social media. I think you can see that on there. Um, I was going to, something else I want to talk to you about. We'll, we'll, we'll keep going on all this stuff, but yeah. what, what is your, so you hunt out of state an awful lot. Um, yeah. Like 
what's your method to your madness whenever you're, you're hunting out of state? Cause I think a lot of guys get intimidated, uh, you know, leaving their, their home home state. Now it's not as bad as it used to be because there's a lot of information out there, but how do you tackle like an out of state hunt? Um, do, do you do, um, I, now you, you hunt, uh, like even if it's private or, or, or public, Yo, um, yeah. do you go to, I mean, do you pre-scout? Do you go in the spring? This, the this time of year, this time of year kills the deer. The, okay. the Kentucky buck was killed, um, was killed in March. I, we went in and set that whole place up in March with mock scrapes, got the stand hung. It was another bluff type situation with the funnel. And we, we got everything set up, got the access. We got all that figured out in March. We went back and, and cut a camera on in um, August, the end of August, because their season come, came in, comes in the first Saturday in September. So we went and glass beans and couldn't find anything, but cut the camera on because that was going to be a pre-rut rut hunt as well. And and everything was set up and ready to go then. Um, so, so that, that but that's an area I've hunted a lot. And so I know it very well. You know, when we fast forward to Kansas, the two properties I hunted on this year, I had, I had never set foot on them. Um, so that, that was new, but, but I'm in the, the whole key to hunting out of state and, and you know, this very well, and probably everybody listening does, and it sounds like common sense, but it, it's having reliable folks and reliable Intel, right. That you could, you can count on, but because you have a, a, a finite am, amount of time, right. You, you can't go out there from, you know, August 15th or October 15th to Thanksgiving or, or most guys can't. Right. You, you've got maybe a week or seven days. So if you can make a spring or a summer trip to go out and, and do a whole bunch of prep work and then you've got somebody there reliable that, that's either looking after it or, you, you know, that, you know, if it's a private piece that, you know, not 15 people are going to be on it before you get out there. And then you're able to, you know, go and, and spend that special time in the rut or whenever it is you want to go hunt it. That, that's the key. But I mean, like right now, I really want to go hunt the Mississippi Delta. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to get, get too specific on where, but, it, you know, the Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana, they've got a little later rut. You know, they, they get that November or late December rut into January rut. And they, they kill some really big deer down there. And so this is exactly how that happened. I talked about that on a, on a podcast. I was like, man, I really want to get something figured out down there. Well, somebody heard that. It was actually Rendell. He called me and said, Hey, I got a buddy down there. That's a real estate agent. He's a young guy. And I think you might even have met him in Alabama and you ought to talk to him. And so I had been talking to him um, probably 10 or 15 times you know, about deer, about deer, about properties. And it's basically all public down there where, where we would be hunting. But I, I'm going to try to find maybe a little small 70, 80 acre lease that's near all that public. And then I can do both. But that's what I'm doing right now. I'll be making a trip down there when I get a break from these trade shows. And I'm going to go down there and I'm going to walk all that public. I'm going to see what do I need. Do I need a, you know, do I need a P-Road? Do I need a canoe, a, a little boat? Will a four-wheeler work? Um, you know, what do I need to maximize, you know, being able to hunt these areas or, or something that'll give me an advantage, right? If I, if I have a P-Row or a kayak, you know, is that going to give me an advantage over the guys that are driving into the parking deck and, and walking in, you know, in, anything like that? Or, or is it a, a John boat? Do I need to borrow somebody's John boat so I can get in a river and, and get around? And, and so it'll, again, it'll, it'll give me a little bit of an advantage to hunt those spots. So I, I really think 
the out of state hunting, it, it's it's done in March and in April before the green up really hits. That's that's been my experience. Yeah. You think like if a guy, you know, a normal guy that has a you know nine to five Monday through Friday, um, he's going to take a you know a seven day he has seven days vacation to spend on an out of state hunt. I mean, would, would, would you go to the extent of recommending him taking two of those days and spending a long weekend wherever he's planning on going in March and scouting it out? And then I, I would, man, even if it takes, you know, we, we talked about the work ethic and the discipline. If it if it takes taking a Friday off of work and driving to if, if you're from South Carolina, it, whatever, where, where, if you're from Pennsylvania and you, you want to go to Kansas or, or you want to go to Illinois where you can get a tag over the over the counter, basically. Yeah. Leave Friday at lunch, drive out there. That's a long drive, but but you got to do it. Drive out there, get a feel for what you're doing and then um, drive all the way back Sunday. So you're ready to go for work and then you've got your seven days. And then, you know, if, if it was me, it would be, I'd probably wait till around the 4th of November. And, and that would be kind of my, my go-to time to, to go spend the next seven days. But it's all, you know, it's, it can be super weather dependent. Yeah. As, as you very well know. I mean, if you get a big hot spell right in there, it can, it can crush the rut. Yeah. And that's just the, uh... That's the the cards that deer hunters are dealt, right? That's just not, not a lot you can do about that. Nope. Um, unless you got flexibility to just, you know, um, take your vacation on, on a, on a limb, then that's, that's different. But, yeah. um, something else that, uh, you, were you the one that you kind of did? Okay. I don't, I don't know exactly how this all happened, but you were a big part of the moon guide. Yeah. Starting off, yeah. Weren't you? Yep. Or, yeah, so Jeff uh, Jeff Murray he he created the Moon Guide, and okay. he ended up passing away from a real rare blood uh, cancer, I believe. It's very 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 sad. And he and Adam Hayes were buddies. And Adam's uh, Jeff's, I guess, widow called Adam, and she had been running the Moon Guide, and it had progressively gotten you know less and less and less because you know it's just how a, a company like that goes, where the principals you know, kind of a one man band. And she, she told Adam, she said, he always wanted you to have it if anything ever happened to him. And so a Adam called me and, and uh, we ended up buying it. And f funny story, man, I, I bought it in like, or we bought it in like August. And my plan was just to shelf it for the first year because we were already into August. Yeah. I had, and I had probably 50 people, call my sporting adventures office and demand it. And I'm like, what is, how are you, you people getting my number? They were calling Cabela's because that's where it was sold. Yeah. And Cabela's was saying, no, she, she doesn't have it anymore, but we can give you her forwarding information. She, they would then call her and she would say, well, I've sold it. And this is the guy that, that bought it. I had a Amish guy, had, that had taken his buggy to a payphone and had called me for the moon guy and said he had had it <laughs> for 15 years. And I'm like, all right, forget it. So I, I said, I called the the people that, that printed it. And I said, I need 1500 of them as soon as you can get them done. And they, they got them to us and we, we sold out of them the first year. And 
eventually I sold my, my part of the business to Adam and he's got it full time now. But I think we had we had grown it back to about twenty five hundred or twenty five thousand subscribers when when um, when we when we split. And then, of course, Adam's taken it and run with it since then and turned it into an app and and yeah. it's doing very well. Yeah, that's super interesting. So, I mean, what what is your thoughts on, on the moon? And maybe I'm asking the wrong person with the. Uh, no, no, I have no, I have no skin in the game anymore. You know, I used to, and and the three biggest bucks I ever shot in Illinois, uh, a one sixty five and two one eighties, came on an overhead moon afternoon hunts when the weather was great. It was real crisp, high pressure um, afternoon hunts with overhead moons at like five p.m., which is the prime red moon. And, it, and the timing was right, too. It was the end of October, 1st of November. So I think the overhead and underfoot moon definitely have an effect on getting deer up and, and having them move. But I think weather tr and pressure trump that tenfold. If, if, if you've got a place that, that gets blown up with pressure, in, in my opinion, you can throw the moon out the, out the window. Um, yeah. if, if, if you've got um, some crazy weather, you know, it's, it's stupid hot, um, the, the, the moon, it, 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 although Adam shot his fourth or either fifth 200 on a 72 degree day with an overhead moon in Kansas in November. So I can't say it doesn't always work, but you know, you, you hear all the, the radio collared stories and I listen to all that. I'm a nerd on, on all of that. The biologists that radio collar the deer and say that the moon has absolutely nothing to do with movement. Um, to, to me, I think a, a lot of those studies are, maybe maybe flawed i think they're looking at uh, moon phases moonrise full moon versus the the actual overhead and underfoot moon and um how far are they talking about moving because a big big mature buck you just need to get him up in daylight he doesn't have to move very far for you to be able to kill him so uh, you know there you can argue it either way it's a it's an inexpensive tool and i think guys you, you know should pay i pay attention to it I, I think guys ought to pay attention to it whether they i'm gonna hunt when i can right I'm, i mean i'm gonna go when i can go and when i have time to go but i, I pay attention to the moon and, and if i've got a big deer that's you know pretty nocturnal and i'm trying to kill him before the rut starts and i've got a great weather day and an overhead moon I, i'm gonna give it a spin yeah I, i've I've never paid attention to it because I've always had that attitude. Like you just were saying, like, I like to go hunting. So I don't like let it, let it affect me too much. But, um, I've, this year I kind of paid attention to some, like some apps, you know, juries have the deer tracker. Um, and I just kind of correlating that with just movement. I saw, um, this year and I've never, I've never messed with the moon guide, but, um, I've always, you know, I'm, I'm educated on it and I'm, I'm aware, uh, aware of, you know, you know, the theory of how it affects deer movement, but yeah, all that stuff still, I don't know. Yeah, and a lot of guys call hocus pocus on it and that, that's fine. I mean, it, yeah. it's fine. It's another tool. And, and I, and I think if guys look at it again, it's not bulletproof. It's, it's not, if the, if the moon guy says eight Oh nine AM is going to be the magic time. It, it doesn't mean get there at, at eight Oh five and, and yeah. leave at eight fifteen. you know, it's just another thing to pay attention to. Like yeah. the barometer and and you know the rising pressure and the cooler than normal temperatures is thing something to pay attention to. Yeah, and Dan always like the way he described it is like it all all of that just like moves the needle just a little bit 
uh, in your favor. So it's always good to have those little things lined up, but it's like not, none of it's the end all be all. And Without he, he, and he talked about it's funny. You said about the pressure. Cause he always told me the same thing. He's like, I think that stuff works better on a private lease in Illinois or in Iowa where, you know, these deer have a thousand acres to run on and they're unpressured. They don't get shot until they're six years old. He goes like behind my house and, uh, in Wisconsin on public land, I feel, I don't know if I can correlate anything, For sure. um, outside of people are either, it's either they're getting bumped around or they're not getting bumped around right now, you know? Yep. So, um, now that, that's good to know. Sure. Um, here's another thing that I, I would want to uh, bounce off of you. Cause if you guys haven't seen Joe's, your YouTube is like Joe miles, right? Joe miles, yeah, Joe, Joe miles hunting. That's okay. right. Um, I linked it down below, but Joe was talking about some of the testing you you've done on equipment. Um, those are all over on your YouTube channel. I've watched all of them. They're, they're really, really good. Um, so there's some apps now that, uh, you know, that you can call a dog tracker in, um, I think it's called tracker is the app and, um, they have collected some data about, um, wounds and what broadheads were used here and there. And, uh, and I, I think if I remember right, you know, like the G5 Montec was one that was up there with the amount of, uh, deer that weren't recovered. Um, I think that, you know, the rage was up there too. And, um, I, I have a hard time with, with that thing. I want to have your, I want to ask you about this because aren't those probably like the two most popular heads that are sold on the market? So wouldn't so, it make, so wouldn't it, it make sense that those would be the highest ones with the amount of wounds because more people are using them? Of, of um, course, of course it is. And, and you know, that, that rage broadheads was the number one selling broadhead for like 10 years in a row. Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, if, if you've, if a dog tracker goes out, and he's tracking, you know, let's just say in a state and 80% of those people are shooting rage broadheads because that's how skewed the market was. I mean, they had an 80% oh, yeah. broadhead market. So if 80% of the people, I mean, it's just a law of averages. Um, yeah. you, you can, man, I, I have no dog in the fight and, and I've tested them. And yes, our tests are backyard warehouse tests. I'm not in a scientific lab. You, you know, I, I don't, I don't, but, but, Man, we've shot a lot of critters too, a lot yeah. of deer, a lot of stuff in Africa, a lot of big hogs. You know, th this is not anecdotal. I mean, we we've shot a ton of stuff, and it's it's so important to me. I, I'm not going to shoot something that's going to give me a dis disadvantage just to prove a point. You know that that that's you know so so I, I understand you know what they're saying is that the the, the Montec and the and the and the rage they they get more deer wounded like that that they aren't able to recover but man I, I i just i don't know well that's what i i don't know the the post was um and i don't i don't remember who, who i don't remember where i saw it or anything but the post was like a negative thing it was like these are the two broadheads that suck essentially is what the thing was saying i'm like wait a minute here no those aren't the two that suck those are the ones everybody buys like i think that's what's going on here like if you go to walmart right now and look on their shelf there's a g5 montag hanging there and there's a rage hanging there that's like, right that's that's just what any any redneck's going to buy to go deer hunting. 
you know. It's a law. It's a law. Averages there, and and th- there are there are differences like with the rage. You know, there's they've got the the giant mega cutting one or whatever yeah. it's the extreme, and then you know for me it's that tripan is the one that that I've had a lot of luck with. Um, and, and we can go down that rabbit hole as to why, um, but but it's a it's a well built um, thick blade mechanical, and of all the ones we've tested, you know I, I like that one. The, the the most and have had the most success with it. Yeah. Do you like the, and maybe you just said this, I didn't hear you, but do you like the larger, the two inch ones, or do you like the inch and a half or what do you prefer? I like, I like the, the tripan is a titanium ferrule and then they have 0.039 thick blades. So it's a, it's a beefed up blade. Um, most of mechanicals are in that point uh, zero three zero zero three five. And, and so they're, they're a beefed up thicker blade and they've, they've got a real good uh, tip. It's some hypodermic tip. I like their closure. There's no O-rings now. They, they call it the no collar. So it closes. It's got like a ball and socket joint inside of it. They're super accurate, real quiet. And, and I shoot the two inch ones. And I, I mean, you, you can go look at that buck on the Osseo page right now um, that I shot quartering two. It's a, 250 pound Kansas buck and I shot him quarter and two through the jugular spine and shoulder junction and it dumped him and that's with a mechanical broadhead and that broadhead was in perfect condition when I when I pried it out of um you know pried it out of him so you know it's but I understand like if if we had Don Higgins right here beside us right now yeah he would be trying to hit me with a baseball bat yeah right he would say I'm the dumbest human being on earth. It's just a matter of time before it's going to fail. And he, he thinks they need to be melted down and made into boat anchors. And I understand where he's coming from. He likes penetration. Um, you know, that, that's his big thing. And there's, there's no doubt that, you know, that, that a, a good well-built fixed blade is going to penetrate better than my tripan. Um, so, so that's, there's no question about that, but, there's also they say those broadheads can't fail, but they they absolutely can fail. But it's not in the sense of of how you think it would fail. Um, it's going to fail with accuracy and it's going to fail with noise because as hunters, we don't all. And, and here we go. We're going down a broadhead debate. So sorry. That's all right. So so as hunters, we're not shooting our bow on a 3D range, flat footed in the backyard, right? We're getting up in saddles and, and, and tree stands and we're having to bend and duck and turn, you know, and, and, and to make shots on, on deer that, that are critical. And what we're doing when we do that and we change our form is we are torquing our bow. And if you go out in the backyard right now and you've got a fixed blade um, set up, put a target at 40 yards and torque your bow, torque it, T- turn your wrist and torque it and shoot, shoot it and see how that arrow flies. And then screw on a mechanical and torque it and then shoot the bow and see how it flies and see how much closer you are to the to the sweet spot with that uh, mechanical than you are with that fixed blade. And and as hunters, we are torquing our bows and we're not able to always shoot with perfect form. So the accuracy thing of a mechanical comes into play. Also, a a two inch cut. Right. I, I can't tell you the number of deer that I have personally tracked for or have tried to help guys that have, have shot them through the guts with a one and an eighth or a one inch fixed blade head. 
and zero blood, zero blood. Those, those, those guts fill up those holes and there's no blood. Um, whereas when you've got a two inch big slap cut going through there, I've shot them through the guts, you know, not made a great shot. And man, you, you know, you, you let them lay up for eight to 12 hours and you, you, you go back the next morning and they're dead within 300 yards and you got a blood trail right to them. So, yeah. you know, that, that's obviously not the ideal best scenario, but I think you have a lot better chance of hitting that area that can still kill the deer as opposed to like the femur. There's only a few angles that you can hit that real leg bone that's still a vital shot. I don't care if you shoot him with a 30-06 or a fixed blade or a mechanical. Most of the times, if you hit that big leg bone, it's not in a, in a kill area. You know, it's, it's in front or it's down below. Um, scapulas, man, those, those tripans blow right through scapulas. So that, that's not an issue. And I've shot them quartering two. I shot a big kudu last year quartering two, um, with that tripan, you know, that's an 800 pound animal in Africa and just smoked him. Um, so I'm, I'm real happy with that. And I think the accuracy, the, another thing is the noise, you, you know, we've tested the, the broadhead flight and those fixed blade heads. If you shoot them right over the, the decibel reader, and then you shoot the mechanical right over the decibel reader at 20 yards, there's a significant amount of, of noise difference. Mm-hmm. And, and the deer hear, they hear that, you know, they, they, they hear that arrow coming. I mean, if you don't believe me, you know, get behind a brick wall and ha- have a guy shoot a bow down that wall, you know, don't peek your head around and right. <laughs> you get hit, but you, you, you can, you can hear how loud that arrow actually is downrange. And, and every little bit of those things can help. Um, and so, you, you know, there's guys out there that, you, you know, the ranch ferry is, is one of them that's, that's real big on heavy arrows and, and um, fixed blade heads. And, and he's big into that Ash, Ashby report. And I understand all that. And I respect all that. And he makes some really good points, especially about bow tuning and having a well-tuned bow. But, but I just I, I disagree with um, that, that type setup for whitetail deer. Yeah, I had a so I, I I told you this earlier this year uh, before season. I talked to you about broadheads and, um, you know, I've used everything now. Like I've I've used the um, small diameter, two hundred grain head, um, single bevel stuff, and killed deer with it. Lost deer with that one too. Uh, I've shot the rage and killed deer with it and lost deer with it too. I'm just like, man, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, there's a lot to unravel for a hunter. And I like, I like talking to you about it. Cause like you've been there and done that. Like you've killed things with a lot of times you, you start reading things on the internet or you watch a YouTube cha- video. Somebody has not even used these things with animals, you know? So, um, I think that's always- important. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If, if yeah. you're going to listen, you, you know, if it, if it's, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. It's gotta be, a guy that's that's put it to use right yeah. you know if it's, it's if it's food plots well, if it's tree stands whatever it is yeah and that's why well you know uh dave from razor broadheads i think they sent you some oh yeah, yeah great that's they're, why, they're, like if i'm gonna shoot something out of my compound i'm gonna shoot this like they made these because they had the same problem i did they're just they're single bevels but they're they're inch and three eight cut instead of that inch and an eighth right and, you know they're they're way more devastating than those smaller ones to me um now with a trad bow obviously i'm I'm going to shoot these. I'm not, you know, that's what I'm shooting. Um, but I've killed deer with that, with the compound too, and had good blood trail. And, and with some of the other smaller heads, I've, 
struggle with blood trail with them. Um, but and we're we're splitting hairs, man. At the end of yeah. the day, at the end of the day, you know, a, a, a good fixed blade. And if you want to shoot a heavy arrow, that, that that's fine. I, I have done a ton of testing on the heavy versus the the midweight or lighter arrows. And and for whitetail, I, I just don't understand the heavy arrow thing. But look, if you've got confidence in it, you're shooting thirty yards and in. With today's modern compounds, man, screw you a muzzy on there. Get a heavy arrow, whatever you like, or whatever broadhead it is you like, and get confident. The, the, the big thing is n- not to spend too much time tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. Man, get proficient with the equipment. Yeah. Be, be able to shoot your bow. Be able to shoot a gnat, you know, at, at, at 30 yards. You know, that, yeah. that kind of thing is, is way more important than than arguing on forums about, what broadhead and arrow setup is is the best? Yeah, and like you said, you you uh, you made a great point that people do not do is, you know, when we first got on here, you said this is uh your this is your your time of year when you start tinkering with your bow and your arrows and your broadheads and everything and testing and testing and testing and dude, people wait till September to do that. <laughs> Most people do. You know what I mean? They do. And, and there's some big buck killers, and I will not drop any names, and and they are that guy. I will. They, Dan fault. It, well, Dan, Andre, and Dan, Andre, and and um, uh, uh, Don Higgins. Man, I laugh at him all the time. I'm like, "Have you shot your bow?" And this will be July. He's ah, probably gonna get it out this weekend and get the dust off of it. I'm like, "You ever?" Uh, me insane. I'm like, I can't believe it. And they, they're big buck killers. So, so there goes yeah. my theory about being super proficient. It doesn't matter. You, you right. just yeah, pull it out in August and off you go. Right. And there's a. It's funny because. I can't remember the guy's name. It doesn't matter. But we were at a trad bow shoot. Um, this has been several years ago. And I was with my buddy, Alan. And uh, we were shooting with this guy. And he was awful. I mean, <laughs> me, me and Alan could shoot circles around him, you know. And uh, didn't I didn't know the guy from Adam. And I didn't know who he was. And uh, we got done shooting. And I see, he's like, what do you think about that guy? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he seems like he needs to work on shooting a little bit. You know, he goes, that guy's killed uh, every big game. Uh, animal in North America with a longbow. Oh my God. He's he has the super slam or whatever that is, you know? I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, he's like, he can't shoot a target to save his life, but you put an animal in front of him. It's dead. How about that? So yeah. Like, and, and he, he knew I'd react that way. And he, cause he knew I didn't know who he was, but I can't remember the guy's name though. But, um, you, if some people may know who it is, there ain't, there ain't been that many people that done that. No, not with a longbow. No, no. Have not been, um, but anyway, so there's that too. Like we're sitting here talking about uh, shooting a gnat at 30 yards. This guy couldn't hit the uh, <laughs> the three target at 20. So right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he's killed everything in North America. Yeah, right, right. So, so again, you know, we're, we're splitting major hairs here, and yeah, do what you like, and and I, I mean, I would say just get real proficient with it, and, yeah. and be as lethal of a shot as you can be. Right. It's just something to tinker with and argue about on social media. That's right. <laughs> All right. One more thing that I called you earlier this year to talk to you about something. We never got back together on it. What do you do with scent control? Do you mess with scent control much? I mean, I, I, I do shower um, and try and have clean clothes, but but it's not something that I'm spraying down and running the ozone machines and, and, and all of that. I, I, our deer, I've gotten such an education. I, I used to, I used to do a lot of that. Um, okay. Our deer here in South Carolina are so dadgum spooky, and, and it's hot here, so we, you know, we're we're sweating, and and um, I, I 
I went so far down that rabbit hole. I, in my garage, I had my own washer and dryer for hunting clothes. Yeah. And, and I would wash them. There, there was never anything scented in any of that. And I would use the, the dryer sheets, the scent-free soap. I would use rubber gloves, move it from there into a scent-free bag, into a tote, take it to the field, put it all on, run the ozone machines. And if a deer was downwind of me and the thermals were, were pulling down in the evening, they smelled me, they blew, and they ran. Um, and, and one of the and, – and I thought, okay, it's just South Carolina deer. You know, the, the ones in Illinois are a lot more relaxed, won't have that. So – um, Illinois track, same thing, completely scent free stuff, sprayed down half a bottle on my boots and my clothes. And I had to walk about half a mile and I, I walked down this, this kind of walking path and, and turned and walked over to my stand. And I might've told you this story before, but you know, th this is at five 30 in the morning before daylight, getting my stand 10 30 in the morning. Here comes one of those old ancient does with, uh, triplet fawns. Yeah coming through this old cattle pasture and she hops this little fence and she hits my scent from where I walked in a clear path. And she followed it all the way to the base of my stand and busted me and took off. And, and that was the time that I said, all right. I, I mean, it, it certainly didn't hurt me to go through all of that precaution. It certainly did not hurt me, but it certainly didn't help me either. Um, right. You know, this was 1030. This was what five hours later that she hit that scent trail and, and came all the way to the base of my tree. And I had done every, rubber boots, the whole scent free um, regime. Um, and, and it didn't, it didn't, it didn't work. That's just one example. And, and there's many more with that. Yeah. I've been asking like just random hunters about scent control. It's interesting to hear people's thoughts on it. It's like, what's yours? Let's hear yours. I don't John. do anything, dude. I'd wear this right here, go out hunting, you know? Yep. Um, thermals I, and I, wind. Thermals and wind. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know how many years ago it was. It was, I mean, it's been a while ago now. Um, I don't think the technology's changed any though, but I bought a scent lock uh, suit with the, the head net and whatnot. Um, I, I don't know. It just wasn't for me, man. It just kind of, it was an annoyance for me. And I found myself getting frustrated that I screwed up because I, you know, accidentally touched something that I, you know, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't my personality. Um, so. I've gotten busted. I've gotten busted in those. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've worn them again. I, I went down this, I mean, everything, carbon, the layers, the hoods, the booties, the whole, oh, like a spaceship going out to the stand. And yeah. I'd still have a South Carolina deer get downwind of me in, in the evenings with the thermals coming down and smell me and blow and, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards away and they're out of there. They still smell me. Yeah. Um, and like I, me and Johnny, I was, you know, Johnny Stewart. I, I met him at one of the mobile shows this year. Okay. Yeah. Um, we shared a camp a couple of times this year in Ohio and um, we got talking about it. Now he, he like, he's a big fan of the, he likes to have his face covered up with his, with those, scent lock head thing he's like i think he goes i don't know he goes it you know it, it makes me feel better okay he's like all my scent comes out of my head for the most part so i keep that on my head all the time so which surprised me coming from johnny to be honest with you i didn't think he would say that so it's, all, it's always interesting to, to hear what uh, people have to say about it yeah and i think a lot of your your um odor does come from your mouth from your breath yeah 
I don't think there's any question about that. Maybe we could get Dr. Fauci on, on here to tell us how we can wear a face <laughs> right. mask in that. <laughs> right, in 95 mask in the, in the stands. <laughs> That's what we need. <laughs> That'll solve all of our problems. Of course it will. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know, man. This world. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we, yeah, you mentioned that earlier. There's a lot of conspiracies coming true anymore. There, there are. And, and we could uh, have maybe next time <laughs> political discussion. Oh, we probably need to um, not get on that topic. But yeah. Um, all right. Joe, let's answer some questions here. Okay. David, he is from South Carolina. He said the South Carolina low country bow hunter here. Any tips or tricks on finding mature bucks down here? Whew, it's it, it's tough, man. Um, yeah, there there are, and it's it's amazing, and it seems to be universal. But people don't don't think about it for some reason. Is is these smaller towns that have these little developments that maybe go out to a floodplain and they can't develop in that floodplain? I have killed a bunch of mature bucks in South Carolina. Um, you know. Some, some of them, like I've got one right now that I can hear the, the Gamecock football stadium, the South Carolina football stadium. I can hear the game on Saturday afternoons when I'm hunting. It's that close to town. But we, we've got a, a river system that comes through Columbia, and it, there's a lot of floodplain. And if, if you can find these places, that they're just not hunted. You know, no, nobody hunts them. And so that – and that goes with anywhere that you hunt in um, – anywhere is, is to find in those overlooked spots. And I know that gets beat up all the time, but that's, that's a, a real prime tactic of mine in South Carolina. I've got, you know, those two places I mentioned earlier that are big pressured hunted spots, but then I have four or five little spots that I've gotten permission in or paid a little small lease fees. And they might only be 15, 18 acres. And there may be an abandoned development that the guy went bankrupt or something like that. The business did, and it's just sitting there and I'll go in there and find out who's got it and, and get permission. And man, you go in there and find one. And, and he has zero clue. He, he's been in there maybe four or five years and never encountered any hunting pressure whatsoever. And it's like his little sanctuary. And so that, that will be my recommendation in South Carolina. I mean, certainly if you can get a 2000 acre lease and it's all yours, you, you can do that. But the, that, that's not the, the average person like me that can, can do stuff like that. So those little small little abandoned golf courses, abandoned developments, floodplain where they've developed, but they couldn't develop in the floodplain. If you can get permission in those spots, man, those can be killer. There you go. Chris, man, thanks for being a member for seven months. He just has the, his comments, Osseo gear. So nice. bring a, that's a good uh, good question to ask you. Anything new coming down the line or anything, Joe, to people to oh, look yeah. out for? Yeah, we've got we've got some new stuff coming. We've got a a, a real quiet puffy jacket for, for an insulated oh, nice. layer. It's going to be yeah. really cool. Um, we've got uh, some new gloves coming. We've got a, a mid-weight windproof or really be more of kind of a bridge between – mid-season and late-season hoodie that, that will be 100% windproof and thicker. Uh, we've got that coming. Um, we're going to do some adjusting to our packs. Uh, let's see, what else have we got coming? I know there's some there's some more um, base layers. We had those this year. We've, we've got those obviously coming back. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm, Matt, Maddie keeps asking for a woman's line. Yeah, I know. We, <laughs> and I saw something the other day, and I need somebody that's way smarter than me and knows how to digest analytics to to look into. Taylor Drury, I think, posted it that 
80% of the hunting population is women now or something like that. It was something crazy. What? That yeah, is yeah, right. I, somebody's going to have to go and, and, and look that up. But I, I thought the, the women um, hunting segment was like maybe half, half a percent. And maybe yeah. it was new hunters. Maybe, maybe it's like, increased by 80% or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the yeah. new hunters coming into the hunting space, 80% of them are, are ladies or something like that. But if anybody out there knows the size of the, the lady hunting market, I, I would love to love to hear that. Did you hear about the scam these guys had going on? Dan did a show about it on Sunday, and I'm going to get it wrong because I haven't watched the show yet. Dan was just telling me about it. Did you hear about the scam these guys were, were playing on social media? Uh-uh. They were pretending, and I'm going to, I may butcher the story a little bit, but this is the concept. There's a group of guys that were uh, like, I guess, creating accounts that were women and they were um, acting like they were photographers and they would get on these sites and be like, Hey, you know, I'm Heather and I'm a photographer. I'm, I want to, I want to take pictures of uh, a big whitetail deer. And they would like sucker these guys into telling them where these big whitetails were, were. When it was freaking some redneck like me on the other end getting information from, it. and they got in trouble for it. I think like they got what like, a great idea. Yeah, that's what I told Dan. I'm like, holy cow! Um, and that's a real condensed. I mean, there's a lot. I think it was pretty deep, but it was a crazy thing some guys were doing. I guess it, it is Dan said that like he thinks a couple of them were on the uh, beast form and. Wow, I mean, they were good. they were going deep into into it. So, bad gum. Just just when you think you've heard it all. Oh yeah, we got trans hunters out there now. <laughs> they were they were. Uh, um, well, that wouldn't even it would be like a fake. I don't know. I don't know what you would even call that. Just decisive. They were they're being. Uh, they weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Tricky. Yeah, they'd have a. Uh, they'd have a. Uh, you know, some pretty girl that they'd use for their photographer photographer girl and get the uh, locations for big bucks unbelievable that's crazy yeah david says annie may like the tripan too that's another person i called when i was looking for a broadhead recommendation this year yeah yeah i actually had him on our podcast wednesday i guess well that was yesterday and uh we, we were talking about that he's got some new ones he's tried out and he he's a tinkerer man he loves oh yeah him. he's got two bows and he's such a great guy man oh he, he's and a, a wealth of knowledge. He's one of the one of the good ones, man. For sure. Yep. And pound for pound, probably one of the best deer hunters alive right now. I mean, without a doubt, pretty unbelievable what he gets done. For sure. Uh, with his time, you know, the amount of time he yeah. has. Um, Josh asked, "What poundage and draw length are you shooting?" Yep. So I shoot a uh, twenty-nine inch draw, seventy-four pounds. I try to stay between that seventy-two to seventy-four pound, and total arrow weights four hundred seventy grains. All right. So this is kind of to piggyback that comment. Pharrell uh, asked, "Can you define light arrow, medium arrow, heavy arrow, and would you change setups per situation or run one setup for consistencies?" Yeah, I'd run um, that that one setup for for basically. Everything from elk size down, um, that 470 grain, and I would call that a, a moderate, that, that 450 to, I guess, 500 would be a, a moderate weight era. I think, you know, when you get to 400 and, and even guys running, you know, IBO, or, you know, those type weight eras like 350, that's, that's getting on the danger side of things, but that would be super light. 
And then I think when you get over 550, that's when you really start getting into the heavy eras. But but personally, from, from elk down, I really like that 450 to 470, you know, even up to 500 um, grains. That, that's what I, I would prefer. Um, and you, I don't know, and uh, I don't know the science behind all of it, but you kind of mentioned to me, I was, um, is, didn't you say there's like a, there's kind of diminishing return after, until you get up to that really heavy stuff like that you would rather see a, a 450 grain than a 600 or something like right. that you're 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 losing the the when, when you go in that middle that that depending on poundage and draw length and all that and the speed you get but but apples to apples you know if, if you're if you're shooting up a, a 450 and you go to a say a 525 you're it, it's the worst of both right you're getting the worst amount of trajectory and speed to that animal and then you're also not getting the quote unquote penetration that you would get out of a 650. So it, it, there is a, a gap there where, where it's the worst of both worlds. You're, you're not maximizing your penetration that you would on a 650 grain era, but you, you're, you're also not maximizing your, your speed and trajectory out of say a 450. Yeah. So I, I would rather be a 450 or, or go all the way up to a to a 650, but I, you, you'll never catch me shooting a 650 grain air. Never. Yeah. Not, zero chance. And I guess it depends on your draw weight and what oh, yeah, yeah. All, all gap that. is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All of that. I mean, if you're shooting 80 pounds and you got a 30 inch draw and you're, you're shooting a, a, a 550 grain air at 300 feet per second, I mean, you, you've got the same trajectory that I've got. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, you, you've got to, you've got to look at all of it. You can't yeah. just, you just can't look at one part of it. Yep. Buck Slayer asked if you've been on whitetail cribs, and I think you have, haven't you? Yes. There, there is an episode on whitetail cribs. Yep. The Exodus boys. I like those guys. They're super. Yeah, nice. they're good, good guys. They'll be. A, uh, are you coming to Pennsylvania at all? Well, yeah, I'll be at Harrisburg for seven days. Okay. Well, I think they'll be there. They don't go to very many shows, but I think they do go to that one. Yeah, that's um, a long one. All right. David asked, Joe, are you still chasing that big one in South Carolina that won't come out of the big cut down? He, you are 100%, David, and, and that thing made a fool out of me this year, and he is still alive. I got a picture of him right before we had our big flood. He is still alive, still in there, and and hopefully next year. Um, th that's, that's well, I mean, we could, we could run down that tangent real quick, but I'm going to actually go create some funnels for that sucker. I, I'm going to go in there and, and, and hinge cut some stuff. I've got some um, some saltus that, that start dropping in August. They, they drop early, middle, middle to end of August. And I'm going to hinge cut some stuff coming out of that cutover and see if I can't force him to, to come through a gap to go to those saltus. So I'm, I'm, that's a project I got on my list to, to try and do. But, man, he's, he's, he's been a thorn in my side. There's always one of them. Golly, I know. There is. I wanted to ask you one more question. We're we're done with the questions on the on the chat there, unless more come in here. But how did you get started in the team two hundred and all that that stuff and and meeting those guys? Yeah, so um, I had a buddy from Illinois that was good friends with Stan Potts, and I, I don't know if you were. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Old Stan. I loved watching that guy growing up. Yeah, he, he's he was passionate, man. He, yeah, he still is. He still hunts. Give me a second, folks. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he was passionate to say I the least. I forgot about him, man. Yeah, but uh, anyway, he, he was friends with Tom Miranda. Um, okay. And and so basically how all that went down is is I'd been killing some big deer in, in Illinois, and, and they were started up the Matthews Dominant Buck Show. 
Mm, yeah. And uh, Miranda and Potts asked me if I wanted to be a part of that show. And so Adam was a part of that. Adam Hayes, Adam Crumran, <clears throat> Chris Seymour, the Baker boys. It was a good group of guys. We had a great group of guys. And and so got to be friends with them. And, you know, the, the thing about those TV shows back in the day is, is there is no there, – there's no growth in, in the show, right? You, you've got the owner – he gets all the sponsorship dollars, and then he's got the guys producing the content from him. And, and you get kicked some product, and you get kicked a, maybe a little small hunt budget, but the guy making all the cheese is, is the man at the top. And it's not his fault. You know, that there's just no, there's not like, there's not going to be a, a, a secretary and then a, a, a operations yeah. manager and then a vice president. So there's, there's no room for growth. So after three, three years of that, you know, Adam and I started talking and, He's like, man, I got an idea for a show. And we were actually hunting in Alberta together. And we, we put that whole thing together on that hunt. And then we got home. We, we started. Gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't know. Just was wondering. Yep. Um, Dan, uh, Dan has some funny stories about Stan Potts. <laughs> he said he's a, he's a super good guy. He uh, is. And he, he, he loved hanging out with him. Um, it was something along the lines of they were they were hunting with Jackie Bushman at some hunt. You know, they those guys always threw big hunts or something. They invited Dan and um, somebody was making fun of Dan for something. I don't know. I don't know what it was. If it was the size of the bucky shot while they were on the trip or something. And um, and uh, anyways, Stan was trying to make him feel better and and told him like. At least they're not making fun of you for being as ugly as I am and going on and on and on about <laughs> all this stuff. He said he was a real uh, good-hearted guy. So yeah, he is. He he he's full of charisma, great personality. You know, life of the party guy. A lot of fun to be in camp with. He's yeah, good, yeah, good guy. Yep. Uh, David asked uh, if you have any more podcasts with Bobby. Really interested in learning more about uh, these real funnels. Yep. Um, so we, we probably will do. Bobby's kind of gotten out of the whole podcast thing, but we do. We're actually he and I are doing um, two courses in March up at his place. And I announced it on our podcast and we were only going to do one. And that one filled up like overnight just from my little podcast. And so I, I think there are two or three spots still available in that um, in that first date or the second date of the of that course. And it's a chance to get in the woods with Bobby Worthington and walk and not a sales pitch. I mean, the guy asked about Bobby Worthington, but if anybody would, would be interested in that, I know there are like two, maybe three spots left and it's at Bobby's home farm. And he's, he's an as good a whitetail hunter is walking in North America, especially big woods and, and rut funnels. And so I'm excited about going up there and being with him and it'll be like a meet and greet um, at, 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 five o'clock in the evening, have dinner. Um, the next morning will be in a classroom for about uh, half, half the day, then lunch, then out in the field. And then the next day will be a full in the field day wrapping up at five. So if, if anybody is interested in that, they can, they can email me at, at ICO, at Joe at ICOgear.com or, or even call. Um, didn't mean to go on a big sales pitch there, Josh, but no, that's all right. Where, where's it located, Joe? Where's it? It's in, in Pikeville, Pikeville, Tennessee kind of near okay. Chattanooga, I think south or either north it's, it's near Chattanooga, but um yeah, so it, it near Nashville. It's like an hour away from hour hour away from Nashville. And it's in March. It's in March. Yeah, the two dates. I think the 8th through the 10th and then the following weekend, like the 15th through the 17th, I think think are the dates. There you go. 
Joe, we've been on here for about an hour and 20 minutes, so we can, we can, we can let you go, but before you go, give us a sales pitch. I, I linked some of your guys' stuff in the description and obviously you guys know that Osseo is always down there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Osseo gear, it's a, it's different, you know, it's made for whitetail tree stand bow hunters. The pattern is, is made after the great horn owl and it just blends in super well, you know, to me, obviously I'm biased. It, it's the best tree stand camo pattern across the whitetail range. We we've, basically tested it everywhere and and it it really is a a, a pattern that's going to blend well you know into trees if you're if you're going out elk hunting in the mid in the west you know that that's not the pattern for you and then you know we've got really high-end fabrics and and windproof liners and insulations to, to keep you warm and able to stay in the tree and then our early season stuff you know we're founded here in south carolina you know, our early season stuff with the way we have the vents and, and the fabrics that we use that keep you cool for, for early season hunting. I think we, we probably do a better job of that than, than about anybody out there. Our early season hoodie and early season pants with that mesh crotch and those vents and those that pocket system really keeps you cool. And we've got, I mean, w- one of the things that I think we do different too, and, and I'll wrap this up, is we've got a lifetime warranty. So it, it literally... If, if you buy a pair of our bibs or pants or whatever and you're climbing a barbed wire fence five years from now and you hang it up on there and it's 100% your fault, it rips the pants, we'll either replace them or get them repaired. So that's something that we have that um, that that I'm not sure that, that other companies offer. We yeah. won't stand behind it. Yeah, that's the last two uh, Christmases, I've been buying my dad uh, hunting clothes from Osseo because – He's never really had real nice hunting stuff. I mean, clothing, clothing wise, you know, he's just always bought whatever. Um, and he's been, I bought him the the Sherpa line bibs and jacket, and for this this last Christmas, and man, he was, he's like, man, he goes for his, he's like for as light as this stuff is, this is warm, and he's worn <laughs> a couple times, you know. And then we were in Nebraska, and it's, it's the first time he, I bought him like an early season setup, and uh, the first time he'd used like the, you know, you guys got the the zipper. Uh, down the vents on the side and stuff he was i mean he he was he was all about it so yeah um that's coming from a guy that doesn't have any skin in the game or anything he was he was praising it so well dan, i think even dan he dan sent me a picture with him wrapped up in our bibs and jacket our yeah. stuff and he said man this stuff's warm i really like it so that, yeah that was, he, he mentioned that was a great testimonial to get yeah he was on the show uh last week and he mentioned he mentioned it he's like man i wore that stuff and uh i think they went up to the up and hunted Wow. he wore it up there so it's cold up there yeah um all right yeah if you guys are uh you guys have the your trade shows also posted on your social media i know we do we got a whole bunch of them from all over all the major ones you know we'll be in iowa indiana ohio obviously harrisburg i think we go to pennsylvania twice doing two of the tack events but yeah they're all on the website and we will have show specials at, at, at all of those and and um obviously you know think you can get a discount through through you josh with with your uh with your podcast so yeah we really appreciate it guys we thank you for your support there and means means a lot to us you know having a business is a passion um it just it's so awesome seeing it come from an idea to guys you know wearing it and being successful in it so thank you all very much yeah it's pretty cool um can they can people come to south carolina there and actually go to like a storefront or you guys just have okay yeah, we do. We, we're just finishing it up. We just actually we we outgrew our first space and moved into a a bigger warehouse. And and the front of it has a showroom. And and it is people could come in right now and shop. 
and and so yeah, it's in Columbia, South Carolina. So if anybody's rolling through there and wants to come in and talk hunting or or just see the stuff, uh, c- come on, we'd we'd love to have you. Yeah, David was asking that. That was a good, good question. And then also go uh, go follow the Mission Whitetail podcast. You didn't Thank mention you. that. Appreciate <laughs> yes. it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Do you enjoy doing the podcast? I do, man. I learn so much. Yeah. You know, I, you know, we have guys on like Andy and Bobby, like like the the, the gentleman was mentioning, and you know, I, I learn a ton, and and I feel like I'm able to ask questions. You know, for, for just like you. You know, you're able to ask questions because you've been there and done it. And, and there's things that, that that can help us all get better with 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 the right questions. And so I think that's that's a thing that I enjoy doing is asking, you know, real specific questions. And so that I think you can get some information out of these guys that have done it forever. Yeah, well, for sure. All right, everybody. Thanks for getting on tonight. And we will talk to you all next week. So, yeah, thanks. thanks Joe. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Josh. Had a great time.